Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. I want to thank you for coming uh, to tonight's Theology on Tap. Our speaker tonight is Kim Osterberg. Kim is one of our diocesan master catechists. She was just commissioned by Bishop Carlson um, at, I think, his last Mass here, Sunday Mass, um, as Bishop of our Diocese before he went to Saginaw. And she's going to be speaking tonight on almsgiving and the works of mercy. And so I'm going to introduce her now. Please help me welcome Kim Osterberg. Thank you very much. I'd like to open with a word of prayer, and then Chris will read a little scripture that we're going to hang our talk on this evening. So if you join me, please, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy people through the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by that same Spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, please. The, uh, the reading is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25, verses thir 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. A stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. Ill and in prison, and you did not care for me. Then they will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or ill, or in prison, and not minister to your needs? He will answer them, Amen, I say to you, what you did not do for one of these least ones, you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to, to you, Lord, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Thank you. Well, tonight's topic is Mercy Is As Mercy Does. And we're going to be talking about mercy, the mercy of God, almsgiving, and works of mercy, hopefully within 30 minutes or less. So I'll take my watch off because it's nice and big and I can see it. And that way nobody will be standing there doing this from the back of the room, I hope. Today is Friday, in case you didn't know, March 11th. This coming Sunday is the fifth Sunday of Lent. When I was a kid, I always wondered, what is Lent? 
And why do we call it Lent? Well, Lent, I found out, is from an Anglo-Saxon word, Lenkton, which means spring. What's spring? Something we live for when we live in South Dakota, isn't it? And usually by now we have slush and we have ice and we have snow and we've been dealing with it for months. This has been a little bit of a, an aberration for our winters. But what we look forward to about spring are those green shoots that come up out of the earth pretty soon. I don't know how many of you are familiar with an artist named John Crane, who is a South Dakota artist. But he has some beautiful watercolors. One is called Autumn, and one is Winter, and one is Spring. And, four, well, it will be 14 years ago in August, when my husband and I were celebrating our first anniversary, I bought the original, well, not the original, a print of the original John Crane Spring. And what is so unique about that painting is that there's so many grays and taupes and browns and golds like we usually see in the landscape this time of year. But what is highlighted within that painting are the little green shoots of grass that are coming up and the little buds on the trees. And when we see that in South Dakota, we know it is a season of rebirth. It is a season of growth coming on, of new life. And that is what spring means for us in Lent, rebirth, conversion, new life. When we're preparing for Lent, we know that there are three things that we are called to do throughout Lent. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And it is within those three that we can come to see even more fully the mercy of God. Before I get talking about mercy, let's back up a little bit and just kind of set the um, stage, if you will, for our relationship with God and why we need His mercy. We know, and I know all of you know, because it's been revealed to us by God, that we're created in God's image, or his icon, if you will. He loves us, and he desires a relationship with us. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, unfortunately chose themselves over God, ultimately. And then came the split with that original sin. And we were born with original sin on our souls. Now, Fortunately for us, we've all been baptized, and we were made adopted spiritual sons and daughters of God. And aren't we blessed to know that? But the thing about original sin is that it leaves our souls weak. We have that concupiscence or that inclination to sin, and therefore we do, and consequently, we need a Savior. If we look at the Old Testament, time and time again we see images of God being merciful to his people as they leave him time and time again to worship and run after false gods he brings them back little by little what I love about the Old Testament is that the relationship God has with his people is described pretty much as a marriage relationship and that's seen I think most explicitly in the book of Hosea. And if you've never read it, read the background on Hosea and then read that book. He's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. You've got to go back, you know, past Psalms and wisdom and Proverbs and work your way through past Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. But you'll find Hosea. He was a prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel. After, um, throughout salvation history, Israel split and became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. 
And Hosea was a prophet mm, roughly around the ages of 786 to 746 BC. And his prophecy revolves around his unfortunate marriage to a woman named Gomer. And Gomer was, well, an adulteress. And she symbolizes within this book the faithlessness of Israel. And just as Hosea couldn't give up on his wife, even when she cheated on him, even when she acted like a harlot, so God could not renounce Israel and kept calling her back. And his calling her back was not so much father and child as much as it was almost a jealous lover calling his people back, come back to me with your whole heart. And a humiliated Israel would finally come back to God. And that is the kind of relationship God calls us to, not just sons and daughters of God, but for, him, for you to know that his relationship with his church is such that his son, Jesus Christ, is the husband and the church of which we are the body is his spouse, his bride. One thing that we know about loving relationships, a true loving relationship, is that both parties are free to accept or reject that relationship. They also have the freedom to agree or disagree as to the level of closeness or intimacy in that relationship. Either party can stay and either party can leave. The great thing about God, though, he never leaves us. If we're not close to God, it, Used, we used to hear when I was growing up in the United Methodist Church, well, guess who moved? It's not God. He's the one who's faithful. We're the ones who move. And if we are not continuously moving forward with our relationship with God, we're moving backwards because there is no standing still when it comes to our relationship with God. In the Catechism, in paragraph 1847, it says, God created us without us but he did not will to save us without us. To receive his mercy, we must admit our faults. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. As I was starting to prepare this talk last weekend, I kept thinking, oh, how do I define mercy? What is mercy? I know what it is when I receive it, but can I really define it and tell you what it is? So I had to go to the dictionary and look it up because I really didn't know how I could put it into words. And the dictionary is actually pretty good. One word, one synonym of mercy, compassion. Especially an attitude or disposition of kindness or forgiveness towards someone a person has power over. And doesn't that describe what God does for us? Because he wills us into existence. And if he ceased to will us to exist, we would cease to exist. It is by his mercy and his great love that we are here. In paragraph 387 of the Catechism, and I thought this was a pretty interesting paragraph. It says, Only the light of divine revelation clarifies the reality of sin, and particularly of the sin committed at mankind's origins. Without the knowledge revelation gives God, gives of God, we cannot recognize sin clearly and are tempted to explain it as merely a developmental flaw, a psychological weakness, a mistake or the necessary consequence of an inadequate social structure, and so forth and so on. 
we rationalize sin. Only in the knowledge of God's plan for man can we grasp that sin is an abuse of the freedom that God gives to us as created persons so that we are capable of loving him and loving one another. A few weeks ago, I remember reading this scripture coming from Matthew 18. We're hitting a lot with Matthew tonight, aren't we? But it's Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And as I read it, it struck me, this is very much about God's mercy and how we are to be merciful as well. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter, approaching, asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus answered. I say to you, seven, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle, settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property, in payment for the debt. At that, the servant fell down and did him homage and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put in prison until he paid back his debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to his torturers until he could pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives his brother from his heart. I thought also as I was preparing this talk about that baptism, about our becoming sons and daughters, about Christ teaching us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. And I realized that when God chastises us, sometimes it's like being punished. You know, you're a kid, you've done wrong, swat on the bottom, whatever it takes. And then I thought about my father. My father, Steve Shalanta, died about two years ago this May. And Dad and I butted heads quite a bit during junior high and high school. In fact, it wasn't until I became Catholic and got married that our relationship really grew. And I treasure the years that Dad and I did have a wonderful relationship. When I think about the times that I rebelled against him, thinking of me being like Israel and my father being like God, the loving father, if I spoke back to him in defiance when caught in rebellion, my punishment was great. And there were times Israel's punishment was great. But if I had gotten myself into such a pickle that I was in despair and feeling fairly broken as a person, those were the times that dad would come and not in anger speak to me or chastise me, but quietly tell me how much he loved me and that what I had done had really disappointed him. 
And quite frankly, that was a lot worse than being yelled at because I knew that that relationship had really been ruptured. But now, hopefully, we were going to get it back together. God treats us like that. If we come to him as children in despair, he is so free with his mercies. I also thought about, as I was preparing this talk, about our Lord Jesus Christ and how he, as the second person of the Trinity, is created, well, excuse me, that's wrong, begotten. He's not created. <laughs> how Jesus is, has two natures, divine and human. And as human beings, we have one nature, the human nature, but two aspects to that nature. Our physical, bodily side that's sitting here tonight, and the spiritual side, our soul, that animates the body with which we have. And that God, being the loving Father that he is, cares for us, our physical needs and our spiritual needs. And in case you need any reminder, then I refer you to the Our Father in Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. One way that God imparts those wonderful mercies and graces to us is through the sacraments. And if you grew up with the Baltimore Catechism, which I did not, but some of you may remember, a sacrament is what? If I say, what is a sacrament? You would say, a physical sign instituted by Christ to give us grace. So he gives us the physical signs so that our physical self can be aware of the imparting of mercy and grace that he gives to us spiritually to our souls. Now let me think, let's think back on a couple of relationships we've talked about this evening. God is our Heavenly Father, and we are his adopted sons and daughters. Christ is the bridegroom of the church, and as members of the church, we are part of that body and his bride. Our Lord also has a mother, as well as a heavenly father. And it is Our Lady, who is the mother of God. But she's also our mother as well. If you look in the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, he gives, our Lord gives Our Lady to the to the Apostle John and tells him that she is his mother as well. Here's your son, son, here's your mother. She's our mother. Not just John's, not just the Apostle's, not just our Lord's, but ours as well. And I bring to you now tonight an icon that belonged to my father. My father was Russian Orthodox and this icon is Our Lady Theotokos which means God-bearer, but she is Our Lady of Tender Mercy. And I thought this icon was appropriate because of the title. If you are a Russian Orthodox, you will know that this icon is probably the most beloved of all within the Russian Orthodox faith. Icons are never painted. They are always written. And in this particular icon, you see Our Lady holding the Christ child. And yet if you come closer, and I hope you will, when this talk is over, and look at the face of, of our Lord. It's the face of an adult. It isn't the face of an infant at all. But look at the closeness of this relationship. She holds him to her with her right arm, and her left really isn't so much holding him as pointing to him, pointing you to Christ. You see his arm, actually his little hand coming around, and holding her cheek. 
in a tender, beautiful, wonderful way. And his other hand is here, again gesturing to his mother. Her eyes are looking at you as you look at the icon. And they're sorrowful eyes because she knows, she knows what will happen to this little infant son, that he will suffer for us and die for us so that we, as sinners, can receive the mercy of God. A couple of other things I want to point out about this icon. Our Lady is wearing this beautiful dark maphorian. And on her left shoulder and on her forehead, and if you could see her right shoulder, you would see it as well, there are stars. And those stars, those three stars, very Trinitarian, of course, emphasize her virginity and her purity. And there are also some decorations along her sleeve. And you'll see that they, it's like little dangles with little crosses, again showing her sanctity and her holiness. But it is she who is moving us always and forever toward her son for his mercies. I hope you will come and take a look at this a little more later. The other thing I thought of when I was thinking of this talk was Our Lady and how she is the spouse of the Holy Spirit as well as being the mother of God. And it is the Holy Spirit who prompts us to conversion and to change. And as we think of conversion and change, remember, as physical and spiritual beings, we can't just say we're changed or that we're merciful. We have to manifest that mercy and make it physical, make it real within this physical world. During Lent, we concentrate on prayer, fasting, and almsgiving to deepen our conversion and relationship with God. Prayer is that raising of our hearts and minds to God. It develops our relationship with Him. Now, we don't need, well, we need prayer, but God doesn't need our prayer. We are the ones who need God and need that relationship. And it is the Holy Spirit, that spouse of Our Lady, who prompts us to pray. And with prayer, we offer our souls to God. With fasting, it's a practice of limited duration of doing with smaller amounts of food, usually as a means of penance. And fasting affirms our dependence on God for our physical needs. Our hunger for food is really a mirror for our hunger for God. During Lent, as you know, all of us between the ages of 14 and 59 and in good health are obliged to fast only on two days, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And with fasting, when we do fast, we offer our bodies to God. And lastly, there's almsgiving, financial offerings for the poor, for those in need. And with almsgiving, we are giving our worldly goods back to God by giving them to those in need. Which each of these three gifts that we give to God and, and practice during Lent and hopefully practice beyond Lent we go beyond mere lip service into concrete acts which demonstrate to God and to ourselves that every gift God gives us deserves to be returned to him. Each is an imitation of Christ who prayed and fasted and gave up every worldly good he possessed unto death. Think about that. If you have an opportunity tonight, the passion of the Christ reopens in theaters throughout the United States. So think about the agony in the garden. As Jesus prayed, he sweat blood. And as he fasted, sometimes for 40 days at a time, um, he also, after the fasting, gave up his earthly possession, his seamless cloak at the crucifixion. It was stolen and given up for, for gambling. And on Good Friday, he gave all. 
and in short, he gave 100%. Now, if we tithe, 10% is what we're asked to tithe, isn't it? We, we, we may not get back exactly what we've tithed. We may get more back. But there's no guarantee that what we tithe, we will get back financially or materially. We may get other graces given to us by God. It may be the, the grace of good friends. Uh, it may be the grace of good health. It may be grace itself to change our lives. So when you think of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, think of it as a spiritual trifecta, if you will. Many of you do all three. Maybe some of you do some of the things some of the time and just need a little push. And I would say don't wait. Take a leap of faith and start prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. It's not too late. We still have a few more weeks of Lent. St. Clement I said it better than I can. Fasting is better than prayer, and almsgiving is better than both. In December of 2003, His Excellency John Favalora, the Archbishop of Miami, gave two messages on the works of mercy. He said, the difference between a sinner and a saint can be summed up with one word, and that is selfishness. Those who act in self-indulgent ways thinking only of themselves are easily led to sin. Those who look outward, putting the needs of others before their own, are less likely to fall into temptation and sinful behaviors. And that's why the proof of one's faith is not how often we go to church, but in how we treat others. And if you don't believe me, I refer you back to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, which Chris had read earlier. The corporal works of mercy, as we know, are those that are of the body or physical. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, and bury the dead. So think for a minute, how do we minister to the hungry and the thirsty, the naked and the homeless? Do we volunteer at the banquet when given an opportunity? Or how about St. Francis' house? Even sitting down with our own family for a meal can be feeding the hungry. Unfortunately, in the United States today, it is a rarity among many families that they sit down more than one night a week for a family dinner. So our building up our family and feeding the hungry within our children and our families is a great way of showing mercy to our children and building up their faith as well as our own. How about donating your time, your talent, and your treasure to a program like Family to Family, if that's within your parish, or Habitat for Humanity? And we know that giving financial support to worthy charities is a very good thing. But when someone is ill, or someone is in prison, or someone has died, making that physical visit to that person who is ill or imprisoned, or to the loved ones of the one who has died, is a necessary comfort for those who are sorrowing. There are other programs that may be available within your parishes that you could volunteer, to, volunteer with if you are able to. And I would encourage you to consider the hospice programs at both Sioux Valley and Avera McKinnon. It is an opportunity that you, I'm sure, will get back far more than you give with your presence. If you are interested in learning more about the hospice programs at either hospital, I would encourage you to call because hospice volunteers, being with those who are dying and the families of those who are dying, is very, very much a worthy charity, a worthy gift of your time. Also, be alert for during the day for moments when we're called to help others. And remember, 
As you give that help, it is Christ to whom you are offering help. Because whenever you did this for the least of mine, you did it for me, he says. The spiritual works of mercy deal with the inner spirit, both our own and that of our fellow human beings. Counseling the doubtful, instructing the ignorant, admonishing the sinner, comforting the sorrowful, forgiving injuries, bearing wrongs patiently, and praying for the living and the dead. So think about the spiritual works of mercy. When someone asks for our advice, do we offer spiritual truths or do we just tell them what we want to hear because we don't really want to get into it? Do we volunteer to teach religion in our parishes? How about giving a catechism, perhaps, to a family member or friends who maybe have fallen away from the faith a little bit or haven't bothered you know, to learn as much as maybe they could have? If someone you know is pregnant and considering abortion, do we help her contact services that can help her with, through her pregnancy and delivering that baby and bringing new life into the world? Or do we choose the easy way out and maybe it's not our business to get involved? If someone you know drinks too much or uses illegal drugs, do we admonish them about the error of their ways or do we keep quiet because we don't want to fight? And how often do we really freely forgive those who have wronged us or bear wrongs patiently that have been inflicted upon us? And do we have masses offered up for those who have died and remember them in our prayers? About three years ago, I realized that in my career as a nurse, I had been looking at the obituaries every day. When I started my nursing career, I was in oncology and hospice at Avera McKinnon. And many of my patients did die over the course of the time that I worked on that unit. And I kept up the practice of looking at the obituaries. Three years ago, I realized I have a great opportunity every morning to pray for those who have died, especially those I don't know. Maybe they don't have anybody praying for them. So I open the Argus Leader every day, and as I go through the Sioux Empire section and look at the obituaries, I try to say a prayer for each person who is listed there and for those who aren't listed. And I hope you will do that, do the same in the future. Developing a merciful heart, a merciful attitude, takes time and effort. One of the great ways that you can pray for mercy within this world, to develop that merciful attitude, that merciful heart, is to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. The Divine Mercy Chaplet came about from a little lady named St. Faustina. She was born Helen Kowalska in a little village just west of Lotz, Poland, back in August 25th of 1905. She was the third of ten children, and when she was almost 20, she entered the congregation of the Sisters of Mercy. There, those members, those nuns, devote themselves to the care and education of troubled young women. The following year, when she was 21, she received her religious habit and was given the name Sister Maria Faustina, to which she added of the most blessed sacrament, as was permitted by her congregation's custom. In the 1930s, Sister Faustina received from the Lord a message of mercy that she was told to spread throughout the world. She was asked, how to, be, she was asked to become the apostle and secretary of God's mercy, a model of how to be merciful to others, and an instrument for re-emphasizing God's plan of mercy for the world. The message of mercy that Sister Faustina received is now being spread throughout the world and she has, within the past few years, been canonized and is now Saint Faustina. She has a wonderful book, a di her diary, called Divine Mercy in My Soul and it's become a handbook of devotion to the Divine Mercy. 
she would not have been surprised, for she had been told that the message of God's mercy would spread through her writings for the great benefit of souls. Through St. Faustina, Jesus revealed special ways to live out the response to his mercy, and one of which is the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. I hope that you will learn more about the Chaplet of Divine Mercy if you don't know it already. I hope that as you leave here tonight, you will go forth thinking about ways you can develop that attitude of mercy within your soul and that you begin to show mercy to others as you realize how much God has shown mercy to you and will any time that you are truly sorrowful and truly ask. It is my hope, it is my prayer, that all of us remember that mercy is truly as mercy does. Thank you. Any questions for Kim? There's a mic, remember. So. All questions will be answered by Chris. No, they'll be answered by Kim. <laughs> Rock on. Rock on, no questions. She'll be around if you're, uh, you'd like to ask them privately. But otherwise, um, I don't remember the date, but the next Theology and Tap will be in about a month. I think it's the second Friday. So I want to thank you for coming. As always, you're welcome to stick around and have some more food and drink. April 8th. And we'll see you on April 8th. Thank you. Thank you.